Well, this morning I was thinking about our message and preparing for today. I got thinking about a question, and the question that I want to flip over to you in that is this. Um, how many keys are, are on your, your keychain that you carry around in your pocket or, you know, maybe, uh, and I can see some of the answers already, uh, in your purse, but, you know, um, some people have a lot of keys on their keychain, and, you know, one way of thinking about your keychain is it's really like a, a picture of, of your responsibilities. You probably have a, a key for your car, a key for the house, a key for, for work, and, and so on and so on. Um, I bet you that some of you uh, listening online or who are here in person today, you've got keys on your keychain that you don't even know or what for. You just carry them around. And I don't know if that's because it makes you feel a, a little bit more important or responsible or whatever. And then there are some of you who have like more keychains, as in those, those doodad little thingy-bobber rings, then you do actually keys on those. Do you, are, are you tracking with me? You've got more keychains than keys. So I, I want to invite you to, to engage this question here this morning. What's your keychain like? What's your keychain like? Take a moment, share with the person you came with this morning uh, what your keychain is like. Uh, if you're on your own, maybe as a point of personal awareness, perhaps, um, and even suggest maybe what that says about you, all right? Just take the next few seconds. All right. Uh, who knew that that question would generate so much conversation? You know, the, the psychological insights to your keychain. Um, maybe keychains do say a lot about us, more than we think. I like to carry as few keys as possible. In fact, I even had our front door key at home converted to a keypad just so I would have one less key to put in my, in my pocket. <laughs> but here's the thing about keys that we all know. Keys unlock things, and keys give us access. And today, in the passage that we're going to look at, we're going to see a key to God bringing transformation and change to your life if you will take up that key that is given to us in the revelation of Scripture in the story of the gospel that we're going to look at today. And we're going to see that that key that God gives us to seeing Jesus transform and change us as people and even our circumstances is having humble faith. And that's what we're going to see in the story of our passage today in our message from the Gospel of Mark chapter 7 verses 24 to 30. And if you've got a Bible or an app, I invite you to go there now and, and, and prepare to read along with me the story. As we continue our series, Lives Changed by Jesus, as we look again at another life changed by Jesus, and this time a woman with a daughter in need. Today's story is about a mom, and out of her need, she was driven to seek out Jesus in humble faith. And so let's grab our Bibles and go there. Mark 7, verse 24 to 30, starting in verse 24, where the gospel writer Mark begins by saying this. He said, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. Now just pause for a moment. In the context of our passage, that place that Jesus was leaving uh, was the Jewish region of Galilee, where Jesus' hometown was. 
But where he was going, Tyre, that was a neighboring region to the northwest that was not Jewish, but instead Gentile or or uh, non-Jewish, if you will. And it was an area known for its, its, its pagan or unbiblical beliefs. And so Mark carries on. He says, He, Jesus, entered a house there and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. And in reply, Mark says, Jesus said to the woman, first, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Wow. But Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. An incredible, even disturbing story, but one that points us to the key of humble faith unlocking the hand of Jesus moving upon our lives, our loved ones, and our circumstances. Let's pray. Father, we've been just lifting up your name all morning and directing our hearts, Lord, to you. And we ask for your help right now to see what it is you want us to see in this story. Lord Jesus, we want to be people of faith, but what kind of faith is it you're directing us to see that you honor and respond to? Help us to answer that question this morning as we look to your word. I pray for help. I pray that you'd get me out of the way. You'd be the one heard this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in most of our Bibles, this story in Mark is given a title, not part of the scriptures, but part of the editors uh, doing that, or publishers, I should say. And this story in Mark is often given the title in a lot of Bibles, uh, Jesus Honors a Syrophoenician Woman's Faith. Bit of a mouthful, but probably a good title for the story. Because more than anything, that's what this story is about. It's not so much about demonic possession, which is a real thing, or bread, or dogs, really but about the kind of faith that Jesus honors in us coming to him, which is a key to us seeing Jesus move in greater ways in our lives as we would point ourselves to him. And even though we don't find the word faith in the text, in the story, that is what this is really about in terms of action and what is behind the words. But the question is, you know, what kind of faith? What kind of faith? does Jesus honor? What kind of faith moves the the hand of God to move in your life? In this woman, driven by her need to see her child delivered from an impure or demonic spirit, I think we learn some of what the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for from you and I in the midst and course of our lives. And the first thing we see that I see is that, that faith is driven by need. In the story, Mark says that the woman, out of this need for her daughter to be delivered from an impure demonic spirit, the text says, went to Jesus and and fell at his feet as soon as she heard about him, you know, out of this need that she had. As soon as she heard that he could be nearby, she was there, driven by that need in her life. She was a 
clearly a mom on a mission who is not going to take no for an answer. Do you know any moms like that? <laughs> because when, when, when moms know their kid has a need, there's no stopping that mom, typically. And she was in that category. And you know, by definition, to be a human being is to be someone in need. We may not want to see ourselves that way or perhaps hear that in maybe our sense of pride. But really, to be a human being by definition is to be um, in, in need. God made us with a fundamental need for Him. That we would seek Him out of our need for Him. Otherwise, I wonder sometimes if I would. Or we would. And there are those today who don't think they need God. They think they're just fine without Him and they don't seek Him accordingly. And so one of the reasons, if you've ever wondered why God puts a need in your life, it's one of the reasons is that you would seek Him. That you would see your need and you would connect it to your need for Him. But the need this woman had was a need God never intended for her to have. You know, we don't know how this woman came to the conclusion that her daughter had come under the influence of a demonic spirit. We don't know what that looked like. We're not told. But what we do know is that Jesus, at the end of the story, affirmed that it was the case in telling her that the demon had left at his command. And Jesus doesn't lie. A clue as to why, you know, how this happened, why this might have happened to this little girl comes in Mark telling us that this woman wasn't just a Gentile, wasn't someone who was just non-Jewish and, and just sort of, um, you know, outside of, of faith, if you will. But, she, but Mark goes out of his way to sort of say it twice. She was Greek and she was from Syrian Phoenicia, a region and a place known at that time for unbiblical spiritual practices, uh, for opposing the people of God, historically speaking, uh, the Jewish people, and it's pagan idolatry in all kinds of different forms, which likely would have given entry to this demonic spirit into the life of her daughter. Because one of the things you learn in spiritual warfare as a believer and from the scriptures is that the devil just doesn't play fair. He'll even pick on kids. And that's what we see, sadly, in this story. And it's why we need, as a sidebar here, to be so careful to never let our children use a Ouija board, to not experiment with non-Jesus spiritual practices or occult type of things because they can become gateways to oppression, harassment, and the demonic. And somehow along the way, this had happened to this young girl and in the life of this mom. You know, but whatever the source or nature of our need in life, God will use whatever need we've got going on in our life, whatever the nature of it, whatever it's from, uh, to drive us to Him. And I think that's what we need to see overall, no matter who we are, is that whatever our need is, 
God wants to use that need in your life and in mine to drive us to him, even if you don't yet believe in him. I don't watch the show, but there's a show called The Big Bang Theory and a spinoff show called, uh, based on its main character called Young Sheldon, where Sheldon's a boy. And in the first episode, at age nine, he's a stated, avowed atheist until the point at which his dad has a heart attack. And he finds himself in the hospital chapel praying to a God he doesn't say he believes in, in the prospect of his father perhaps passing away. And so, you know, like whether or not we, we see it or not, all of us are in need of God. And we find God, the scriptures say, in Jesus. And God uses the needs of our lives to stir up in his mercy faith within us that we might seek him out, even when we've said we don't even believe in him. You know, how about you? You know, where are you at in seeing your need for God this morning? Like, I, need a, a, I need God I need a lot, a little. I'm not yet convinced. But our small needs in life all point to our greatest need in life, which is to come into the peace of God, which is to come into a restored communion relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, who the scriptures say the fullness of the deity lives. Here's the second takeaway this morning about faith in the story of this woman. We see a second thing here that faith is more about belief than knowledge, more about belief than, than understanding or having everything figured out about God and who he is. Um, this woman had a faith or a knowledge about Jesus that was not yet really fully formed, you might say. She only had a part of the picture based on what she had so far heard about Jesus as he was suddenly coming into her region and the place where she lived. And even though her faith was not yet fully formed or not fully there in terms of what she yet understood about Jesus, Jesus honors the faith that she demonstrated anyway, even though she had presumably a very limited understanding of him at that time, at that moment. Mark tells us that Jesus had come to the vicinity of Tyre, as we said a few moments ago, meaning that Jesus had left Jewish territory. He'd come there, Mark says, to, to lay low. He's like, I've, I've, I need some time away. And so he, he's left one region to go to another. You see, in taking on a very real human life and flesh and blood, Jesus, as the Son of God, needed rest and time to be with his father, the one who had sent him. And so Mark says in our story, he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it in embracing the limitations of taking on human flesh. Why did Jesus take on human flesh? Because he came to be a genuine substitute for you and for me on the cross. If he just appeared to be human, he would not be the sacrifice he needed to be to be a substitute for you and for me upon the cross and paying for our sin. And so Jesus embraced the limitations of human life. It's a mystery and a miracle and an, just an incredible thing. But in the midst of his earthly need, he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, Mark says. But as soon as she heard about him, Mark says this woman came looking for Jesus and she somehow found the Son of God who didn't want to be found in that moment in this house. And 
even though she, what she had heard about Jesus was, was likely pretty limited. She thought whatever she did hear about Jesus, she wanted to find him. And why her, limita- her knowledge would have been limited about Jesus is partly at least because Jesus spent almost all of his time in Jewish territory, speaking first to Jews and Gentiles or non-Jews only second after that, knowing a time would come and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the beginning of the church that one called Saul who would be renamed Paul, would be commissioned by Jesus to be an apostle to the Gentile world. And so Jesus knew it was in the Father's plan and it was coming. And, and his earthly mission was first to focus on those he got started with, the Jewish nation, the descendants of Abraham. And so this woman, she's entire, she's outside of Jewish territory. Are you following with me? And she would have only heard the headlines about Jesus, secondhand stories of miracles, how Jesus was touching people and changing their lives with the power of God. As one person's put it, she would have only heard the big things about Jesus. But what she did know about him, she believed. She believed that Jesus could deliver her daughter from a force and a power. She saw at work in their lives that she did not understand or have an answer for. And her actions showed her belief. Our actions reveal our true beliefs. Our actions reveal really what we believe. Our text says as soon as she heard about him, she set out to find him. She didn't need to think about it. She made a beeline for Jesus the moment she heard about him, believing he could meet her need. Second action that we see, she begged Jesus and she persisted in asking Jesus to deliver her daughter because she believed he could do it. You don't bother with something you don't really believe in. And she was all over Jesus in what she believed about him. And incredibly, when Jesus says to her in honoring her faith that the demon had left her, and this is the other action she shows, without seeing any proof, she says, okay, thank you, Jesus. And and Mark says she went home. Without seeing any proof, she believed what Jesus had said, that her daughter had been delivered, and she went home. While she did not have a lot of knowledge, she was full of belief. And I guess my question this morning would be, how about you? How about me? Hebrews 11 says, it is impossible. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. You know, we live in a great age of information and and knowledge. We probably have more information and knowledge than any other human generation since the dawn of creation. But what Jesus honors is belief. Knowledge, of course, is good, but it's not much good without a belief behind it that shows up in action. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they were full of knowledge, but Jesus said their hearts were far from him. They had all kinds of knowledge about him, or about the scriptures, I should say, really, but their hearts were far from him. And, you know, if you were to ask a question of yourself here this morning and sort of 
with the Holy Spirit's help, sort of do a, a moment of self-diagnosis on a scale of like zero to five, you know, zero being none and five being full, how would you rate your level of belief in Jesus right now? How would you rate your level of belief in his ability to change you as a person or to bring you into a new uh, kind of situation in terms of your needs? Maybe not necessarily your wants, but perhaps your needs. You know, in the book of Romans, it says Abraham, a great patriarch of faith that God began with, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as, as righteousness. Now, Abraham did not see what God had promised him right away, a son, and it would take years. Abraham did not even get to see the full fulfillment of what God said to him in saying that out of your offspring, I will make you into a, a great nation. But Abraham still chose to believe. And now today, from the vantage point of salvation history, we see the Jewish nation. We see the gospel arising out of Jesus, a descendant of Abraham. And we are here today as part of the great multitude of faith, the nation that God was telling Abraham about. But Abraham believed it even though he hadn't yet seen it. And if you find yourself maybe low on the faith scale today, that's okay. You could be like the dad who came to Jesus with his child, with his son, who was also in need of deliverance that we read about in another chapter of Mark, Mark chapter 9, who said to Jesus, I don't know if you can help me. And Jesus is like, come on, you can believe it. And, and then he said, help me overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome my belief. That was his prayer in Jesus challenging him to believe that he could deliver his son. The faith that Jesus honors is a faith of belief more than knowledge. Ask Jesus to help you in your unbelief. Ask Jesus to help you as I have prayed often. Help my heart catch up with my head in terms of my belief catching up with what I know. That's the place God wants to take you. Here's the last thing I want to share this morning about what we see in the faith of this woman, the kind of faith that Jesus honors before we come to the communion table. And it's this, Jesus honors faith that is accompanied by humility. Jesus gives this woman one of the most perplexing and I think potentially disturbing or offensive even replies that I've seen in Scripture. Instead of giving her a simple yes or no to her request of whether or not he will deliver her daughter, he gives her a story. Can you imagine that? Can you just not give me a yes or no? Will you do this for me or not? I believe you can. He doesn't do it. He gives her a story. A story. And what we see in this passage is classic Jesus. In fact, in Mark, he says Jesus didn't say anything without giving a story. And here Jesus does that. But if it's not frustrating enough for him to answer indirectly with a story, because what Jesus loves is to engage our hearts, to take us on a journey, and to draw us to himself in the midst of the needs that we find ourselves in. That's why he was telling this story. But, you know, if it wasn't frustrating enough, this story alludes to her being a dog. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I think I would have I think that my point, my pride, should, I should say, would have maybe been a little bit more than offended at that point in the conversation. But here's the amazing thing about this woman. She doesn't let that deter her. 
She seems really hard to offend, actually. She understands that the children that Jesus is talking about in the story that he tells her are the children of Israel, the Jewish people, the descendants of Israel, the people God started with, the ones whom God promised to send a Savior to save them from the sin, from their sins, and one who would be for the whole world. She understood that the bread was what he had come to give them. I'm not sure she understood fully what it was. We now see the ultimate thing that Jesus came to give us was salvation through his broken body and his shed blood. In communion, his body is represented by bread and his blood by, by juice. But she does something extraordinary in engaging Jesus' story in humble faith. She answers back in parable. She says, but yes, but even the dogs get under the table, eat the children's crumbs. Anybody have a pet dog at home who loves to just clean up after you? We've got one of those. And she says, yes, but even, even the little dogs under the table get the crumbs. She's so humble that she doesn't balk at being compared to a dog at the dinner table. And she's willing to even answer back in the metaphor that Jesus is using to communicate and get to her heart. In incredible humility, she acknowledges she's got basically no claim on Jesus, no right to expect anything from him, no merit or basis to request what she's asking for. She's not worthy of it. She knows it. And you know what? Neither are you, and neither am I. In Scripture, God repeatedly tells us how much He values humility. In Isaiah 66, God says, these are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit. There's just something attractive to God about, about humility. It's, it, it's almost like Jesus can't help Himself but respond with humility. And I don't think we're very different. When I've met someone who's humble, I'm taken aback and I'm impressed by them in terms of their character, and I believe so is God. Not that it's a merit on our part, but you see a profound humility. As someone has said, true humility isn't being down on yourself, but it is not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. Faith matched with humility is what releases God's work in your life. The cross reminds us of the greatest need that we have, and it's why it's so important that we come in fellowship like we are this morning as a community of faith, as a church, as a family, and we celebrate the Lord's Supper together in this meal that Jesus instituted the night before He was crucified. Our greatest need, the Bible says, is our need for the forgiveness of sin, which Jesus came to provide for which He is the answer. It's a need to have the peace of God in your life, and it's a need for the shame of your past and your secrets to be washed clean and no longer to be a stain on your soul before God or anyone else. And Jesus is the only one able to take care of that need, whether or not we will admit that need or not. I love these words of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. His death pointed to a resurrection afterwards. And Jesus goes on and says, the one who believes in me, believes in me, will live even though they die. 
Everything in the kingdom of God comes by faith. It comes by belief, including the gift of, of God's salvation and the forgiveness of sin. Many people do not understand that the forgiveness of sin comes by faith and, and comes by receiving it by believing, not by earning, not by any other way, but by believing Jesus for it on account of his amazing grace. And isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that we can have the forgiveness of God simply by choosing to believe that what Jesus did was for us? That is what is required, all that is required. We may not understand much else, like the woman from Syrophoenicia, but that is all that is required. I want to invite the worship team to come and help us respond as we prepare our hearts for the communion table this morning. One of the ways we demonstrate our faith in Jesus and what He did for us on the cross is by coming to this table that I'm going to invite you to do in a few moments. Jesus said, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of Me. I want you to come to a, a, a meal to remember Me. I want you to look at the symbols of, of bread and juice to remember the sacrifice and suffering of my broken body and my shed blood given for you in the perfect plan of the Father to make a way for you to come to Him. In 1 Corinthians it says, every time you eat this bread, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Every time we come to this table, we're expressing, demonstrating belief, saving faith in what Jesus did for us. It's not what we do for him. It's what he did for us and us believing that. Would you stand as we join our hearts and prepare our hearts to come? This is a table for those who've come to the place where they have made the decision to believe in Jesus and what he did for them on the cross for the forgiveness of sin and the peace of God and the promise of eternal life. If you've made that decision, this, this table is for you to demonstrate your belief through it. If you've not made that decision, why not today? Why not right now? Why not come to Jesus in simple faith, simple belief, and saying, Jesus, I just want to confess and admit right now my need for you and my need for all of my sin and shame to be wiped clean. I admit my need to be forgiven by you, a righteous and holy God that so loved the world, he sent his one and only son that who would ever believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus, I believe in you. And I ask you to come and wash me clean. Come and live within me by your spirit and grant me the gift of eternal life. That is all that is required, a simple, sincere prayer of belief. And it can change your eternity. You're everything. It's the beginning point of a wonderful relationship with God. As you come in a moment down these two center aisles, uh, both 
the Goulds and the Martins are going to be here serving you. And I'm going to ask Bill and Mary Andrews if they would come and, and take a middle tray to anyone in the sanctuary who uh, may not want to come forward, but there are some pre-prepared communion elements for you, and they'll come to you. But we want to invite you to come in a moment down these two center aisles. Take the bread, eat it in remembrance of him. Drink the cup in remembrance of his shed blood. And exit the outer aisles as we just continue in an atmosphere of thanks and worship. And maybe as you come down these two aisles, you've got a particular need right now that you just feel like is staring you in the face. And as you come, why not just say, Jesus, I just, I, I wanna, I'm going to trust you with this need I've got. Just the way I'm trusting you for the need of the forgiveness of sin and, and receive in faith that God will meet you. Jesus, we love you. We want to have a fresh encounter with your grace this morning as we come to these elements. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So servers, 